0: The Athletic. totally football show today fa cup woods and cherries forest and foxes and a kiddie playing with hammers it's another magical round of the competition deadline day obama yang oh barcelona and everton's shot move to new delhi scotland rothat wraith rovers and rangers two. and afcon senegal remove bikina to reach the place of their desires but who will meet them in the final it is the totally football show in association with paddy power Thursday, the 3rd of February. Listen, how lovely to see the inside of your ears again in the company of our good friends, Duncan Alexander. Hello, James. Adrian Clark. Hello. And welcome back, Colin Miller. Hello, James. Hello to you all. And, uh, by the way, special big thanks and love to to you if you came out on, what was it, Tuesday night to the Leicester Square Theatre in London's... uh, well, Leicester Square to see the Totally Football Show live. Uh, Duncan, you were there, and uh, what a what a very special night it
1: was. It was a delightful evening of of chat and yeah. mild laughter.
0: Mild yeah. laughter. What was your highlight? Was it when I asked if if Declan Rice would be a starter at any of the top four, and you said,
1: it was "More of a main course for me, Rice," but. Um, yeah, that that seemed to go down all right, as rice <laughs> does. Very very good thing to eat if you've got a bad tummy. So there you go, a bit of right, health thanks. advice as well. There you go, funny yeah.
0: and practical. Nice. Mm. Well, uh, I'm told that there's more news on the live show front to come. Uh, of course, uh, earlier in the week, we also did a show on Monday in which we talked about transfers, only to then be kind of superseded by events... Later on that day, it was a day of drama, wasn't it? For a deadline day, Colin, what do you think?
2: Yeah, yeah, quite a lot of quite a lot of sort of high profile moves. It had been a fairly quiet window. I think a lot of people maybe expected a little bit more activity, maybe even from Newcastle and the money they'd mm-hmm. brought in. But it, it kind of heated up a little bit in the final day, and there's a couple of moves went through that you're kind of thinking, you know, it, it could be interesting, it could spice up the, the second half of the campaign.
0: Moves like the Delhi Alley to Everton one, uh, potentially Everton moving to address that. Lack of midfield cre- creativity with first Van Der Beek and then Deli, Irony Clax and possibly Adrian as, as Frank Lampard tries to fit them both into the same
3: midfield. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that was my f- first thought when, when they signed both of them. It's like, well, how are they going to fit in? Because Frank likes a four-two-three-one, But we could, of course, have a, a midfield where you, you might have Alan with Van Der Beek and Deli Ali either side as sort of. Box-to-box attacking midfielders, a la Manchester City. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, van der Beek obviously was buzzing at getting out of Manchester United, getting his mm. chance, only to then see Dele Alley rock up just a few hours later. Penny for, for his thoughts. Um, but I'm, I'm really pleased for Deli Alley because he's looked like a lost soul, hasn't he, for, for so long now. He needed a fresh start. When he first came on the scene, he was like a raging fire, wasn't he? just He was just... Mm. He was just burning with hunger and and it's just fizzled out really the last couple of years and and yeah he just he just needs someone to get him going again and and I think Frank's probably the right guy he's, he's a he's a good people person I think you'll give him a cuddle or two right and uh and make him feel loved and, and is hope that how he... you re restoke hunger with a cuddle yeah I think so yeah. I think that's the that's the starting point and then you want to play for that manager don't you you want to get that going it, it is a funny one because I think younger players like like musicians with their first album they're, they're sort of raging aren't they? they they've got so much that they want to sort of show and give and then it so often fades when they get more comfortable when they get used to the the luxury lifestyle I guess and and there is that part of me that wonders whether that's happened to Delhi Ali. I hope mm. not I hope that that, that this challenge will, will will reignite him because he needs to you look across the last season and a half, he hasn't scored a goal that wasn't a penalty in the Premier League and he's, he's made one assist. So, he yeah, it, it, it's still a gamble, I think, from Frank, even though he's, he's a real talented player.
0: For listeners under the age of five, Duncan, would you like to r- remind them what uh, Deli Ali was capable of in his early years in the Premier mm.
1: League? Yeah, he'd scored or assisted 61 goals in his first 100 Premier League appearances, which is more than his new manager, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard and Paul Scholes... Uh, ever did at that stage so yeah like Adrian said he started you know brilliantly starred at a World Cup lest we forget that as well um mm. looked like he was set to be you know sort of linchpin of, of England's midfield and and beyond for a long time so yeah I think everyone hopes he can he can uh, can do it at Everton.
2: Another thing I was going to say about Deli Alli and more the, the sort of Tottenham side of it is that this is a guy who started the 2019 Champions League final and I mean, that, that seems like quite a while ago, but it was only two and a half years, and I was looking through that Tottenham matchday squad, so they're starting 11 in the substitutes. Delhi Alli is the 15th player to leave the club from that point, and that's not including Tanki and Dombele and Luchelso, who were signed that summer as a sort of marquee signing to Tottenham, so that's a huge player turnover, and obviously pochettino was gone from that time, Mourinho's been and gone, Nuno's been and gone, and... That is a huge turnover. It's a lot of it's a lot of instability, and I think there was an environment there where Deli Alley had thrived in such a settled team and such a settled system. But when things started to evolve a little bit, and when the club started to kind of chop and change a wee bit too much, he kind of looked a little bit lost. So I don't know if that's something that he can maybe refine at Everton because, like, there's no doubt that he is such a such a talented player. I think it was a couple of years ago. Uh, when Louis Van Gaal was given an interview, um, sort of reflecting upon his time at Manchester United, and I think he had said that his, his one, the one player that Sir Alex Ferguson had recommended that he sign was Deli Alley, because mm. this was the guy who stood out, this was the guy who ticked all the boxes as far as Ferguson was concerned. And you look at his numbers from that time, and the quality of the goals he was scoring and the things he was doing on the pitch was was remarkable. Um, So, I mean, you kind of forget how young a player he still is and how much he could potentially get under the right manager and in the right system.
0: Yeah, Sir Alex, whose eye for talent was such that he was able to name Phil Jones as the greatest player, uh, most talented player man United.
1: New Duncan Edwards. Indeed.
0: Adrian, as you were saying... I think we all hope that Delhi gets reignited by this move. But what about Everton? Do you see it reigniting along with the other moves they made? Do you see them uh, turning the corner and, and moving away from the uh,
3: slightly uh, sticky situation at the bottom end of the table? It is a bit sticky, isn't it, Fordham at the moment? Uh, yeah, I think so. New manager bounce and, and all that nonsense. Um, I, it's hard to place where Frank Lampard is in terms of quality as a manager. I think he did well at Derby without taking them up. He did well at Chelsea, but then it, it, it started to fall apart. It's hard to grade him and how good he is, but but I think he is the opposite of Rafa in terms of the player. So the players I think clearly weren't weren't gelling with Rafa Benitez, maybe weren't buying into his style of play. I saw them in the flesh in I think his second last game and they were all over the place at the back, which just isn't a Benitez team. So it it looked to me as if the players were really not on board. And, and mm. I think that they will be with, with Frank Lampard. He's, he's a very likable guy, as we know. And he knows his stuff. Um So, yeah, th- there should be an upturn. They've got good players. But but where does an upturn take them? It, it takes them into lower mid-table, doesn't it? That's that's probably where they're at.
0: All right. Well, I mean, that, that, that's better than where they are right now. Colin, I know you are football's only Frank Lampard centrist. We'll uh, hear your thoughts on that <laughs> a little bit later on. But in terms of other signings, A big move out of the Premier League on Monday was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang going to Barcelona for free and taking a massive pay cut, apparently, to do it. Arsenal will themselves save around £29
1: million in wages over the next 18 months. don't think it's that high.
0: Is it not? How much is it, Duncan?
1: Uh, I think Arsenal are paying some of his wages for the rest of this season, then Barcelona take over completely for the next two years, but or three years potentially, but don't pay them as much. So OK. Um, they'll so save, ris- yeah, save some money. Yeah, I mean, they'll save some money. It's kind of like saving wages is the new net spend, isn't it? But, um, <laughs> I mean, I was thinking it's a good job that the transfer deadline doesn't run to March like it used to, because Arsenal would pretty much have no players left by that point. And they're getting rid of <laughs> so many. Adrian, you'll be back up front. <laughs> no chance.
0: <laughs> Adrian, they got rid of six players, did Arsenal, and
3: didn't sign any. That's... Curious. Curious, yeah. I don't have any quibbles at all with any of the players that left. I don't, because they weren't going to feature. They they, they needed to be shared, I think. The only one that I'd say you could argue against was Mate niles going to Roma on loan. That one suits the player more than the club, because he would have been good backup at right-back or centre midfield. But no, I think all of the outgoings made sense to me. What didn't make sense was not... Not replacing a in the in the here and now, that much is obvious, isn't it? Eddie Nketi has had 51 minutes of Premier League action this season, so Mikel Arteta <laughs> clearly hasn't trusted him until this point, which puts so much emphasis on on Lacazette, doesn't it? To stay fit, to do the business. I think the Martinelli, we might get to see him up front between now and the end of the season. I'm quite excited about that. Um, but but yeah, they've they've gambled. They've gambled uh, that that they're not going to be hit by injuries or mm. the inevitable suspensions because this is this is awesome they've always got suspensions
0: as for Barcelona have they gambled Colin a, a club that was keen to move on the talented but ill-disciplined Usman Dembele uh, electing to then add uh, Aubameyang to the squad it's an interesting move
2: yeah yeah it's very interesting it was one that kind of developed very late on, and I don't. I don't think anybody really in, envisaged it happening, especially after Barcelona had already signed Ferran Torres, had signed Dama Traore, and obviously Dani Alves returned to the club. So they've been they've been very active in in the market, and they've obviously. They, they had that sort of very well documented um, kind of wage budget that they had been over earlier in the season a number of players had to take wage cuts and wage deferrals and now you've got players coming into the club and the Aubameyang one's really interesting because initially it had been talked about as as a loan until the end of the season and then it was talked about as an 18 month loan deal and then it was talked about as, a, as, as it was a free transfer. And when Aubameyang signed the deal, there's kind of conflicting reports on this. Initially, it was said that it was going to be until 2023, which was the original Arsenal deal, which is 18 months from now. And now these reports that will actually get to 2025, which um, Aubameyang would be 36 by that stage. And that would make a lot more sense from the player's point of view, because we'd heard a lot that this, this was a huge wage cut in the here and now. But if Aubameyang's thinking, well, Arsenal owe me £7 million from terminating the contract, which is obviously a huge lump sum or to be paid in the coming months and then well actually i've got this sort of financial security through to the time when i'm 36 you sort of think well actually that's not a bad move at all for him and it's one of those things with barcelona that they renewed the contract of samuel Mtiti titi earlier in january and this is the player who they were desperate to sell have been desperate to sell for the past two or three transfer windows and couldn't do it couldn't find a buyer, couldn't find a club who he wanted to go to so what they did was that they actually extended his contract but reduced his wages in order to sign more players so just the wage deferral so I'm sort of at a loss with this in a sense I understand why they're doing it I understand that it's popular I understand that they can make signs to improve the squad now and qualify potentially for the Champions League next season but a lot of this seems to be kicking the can down the road to be mm. to be postponing these these huge financial issues for, for the next guy and a lot of this has been engineered by the, by the director of football, essentially, Matthew mm. Manny, who's 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 very well respected and he's clearly very intelligent, very smart. But that's a position that people don't tend to be in, especially at a club like Barcelona, for more than two or three years. So he might not be around whenever the issues could potentially creep up again at
0: that point. So it's going to be really interesting to see how these moves pan out. Currently Barcelona live fifth just outside the Champions League qualifying spots although they are in the Europa League and could, could make it through there. They're only one point off force uh, currently held by Atletico Madrid with this massively boosted squad post the January transfer window. In terms of how it works on field. That quote from Xavi from a couple of years ago has been doing the round, where he says that Aubameyang was essentially the wrong kind of player for Barcelona. Is is the answer here that he was the wrong kind of player for that Barcelona? But what Xavi is dealing with now is an entirely different kind of team.
2: I'm I'm not sure. I, I think the teams themselves are similar. I think I think what Xavi how he envisages Barcelona playing is in these tight spaces and is and sort of to try to work space themselves rather than play in it. But that being said, Aubameyang. A, t- a different player. I mean, he's 32 now. He'll be 33 this, this summer. He's certainly in the autumn of his career. He's not somebody who has that explosive pace anymore. But I, I do agree. It, it does seem like a slightly strange signing. But then again, Xavi did say uh, in an interview before that that no players should ever return to their former club. And he Ooh. he re signs Dani Alves, he re signs Hadama who's who's actually probably the least. La Lamasai La sort of graduate. You could imagine if you could, if you could just think of one player who doesn't have all those sort of attributes that they, that they coach into you so heavily. It would be him. But you know, obviously, he's come back to the club as well, and he's somebody who's just a, a really exciting player. He's kind of, he's kind of very chaotic, and again, that doesn't really fit into what I envisaged Xavi to be doing with Barca. So. I'm kind of kind of interested to see how he how kind of integrates them into the team as well. And potentially, we're talking that you could be switching to a 3 5 2 formation and playing wing backs, which is sort of similar to what Conte has obviously uh, done before with Chelsea and even slightly with Tottenham at the moment. So it's going to be really interesting to see if Barcelona do kind of make this huge shift away from this 4 3 3, which the Cruyffian kind of dogma of it, which was sort of enhanced by Guardiola. And you kind of thought, well, Xavi's going to be the successor to that, but maybe not. Mm.
0: Good thing that Xavi himself never went back to his former club, uh, Duncan.
1: Yeah, just on Aubameyang, I think. I mean, Agent touched on it. I think it's, it is a good time to to get rid of him. I mean, his all his numbers are trending down. His conversion rate, his you know xG, his the xG per shot he's getting. Now a lot of that is you know down to teammates partly, but um, you know he's in his thirties and he's slowing down. So it, as Colin was hinting, you know, if he is there for another three, four years, then yeah, I do slightly worry for his output put it that way
0: Mm. Elsewhere on the transfer front massive move for Scottish club Rangers as Aaron Ramsey joins from Juventus Let's have a look at that and the big game they had Rangers on Wednesday night
4: next Well listeners we have just one offering from the Premier League this Saturday at tea time and it should be an absolute slobber knocker of a bout as Burnley play host to fellow relegation fodder Watford in the rearranged proverbial six-pointer. The wise old owl, Roy Hudson has come in to steer the Watford ship after Captain Ranieri was forced to walk the plank with no time to waste. Hudson will be hoping he can hit the ground running and it's vital to pick up points he'll know against those in the dogfight around you. Burnley had a little bit of upheaval themselves to work through as their main man up top, Chris Wood, headed to Newcastle in a £25 million deal. But Sean Dyche, who is 4-1 to be the next manager to leave a Premier League club, he and his team look to have re the wood money shrewdly as Dutch striker Wout Wehorst joins from Wolfsburg in a £12 million deal. He's 6'6", six six, scored 70 goals in 144 games for the German club and was unveiled to the Clarets fans as the Tyrannosaurus Rex in an iconic scene in the Hollywood blockbuster Jurassic Park. Hats off to the Burnley media team. Get your CV into Penny Power. You may have what it takes. The Paddy Power traders have Burnley at 4-7 to be relegated, but at least give them a better chance than Watford, who are 3-1 on to go down. In terms of Saturday's match betting, Burnley where the favourites tag, no surprise, at 23-20. The draw is 9-4, and Watford are 12-5. And if you fancy the T-Rex himself to get off the mark with a debut goal, we'll give you 4-1 on Verhurst to score first, and 7-5 anytime. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com, or indeed the Paddy Power app, Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. Begambleaware.org. And remember, take time to think.
5: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kaye, and the very best football writers around.
0: week in Scotland for all sorts of reasons. Let's start with the Old Firm game on Wednesday night which saw Celtic beating Rangers 3-0 moving past them at the top of the Scottish Premiership. Joining us now on the line is Jordan Campbell of The Athletic. Jordan. A crikey. First of all, well done Celtic.
6: Yeah, well exactly. Um, I think you know that's, uh, that performance last night felt like a, a major statement for um, Ange Postecoglou's team, you know, he's obviously had to com- had to oversee a complete rebuild um, since the summer. But you know, I think that blank canvas that he arrived to um, has allowed him to build, you know, a team in his his own style. Um, and you've got to say the recruitment, you know, considering the talk was about the lack of infrastructure at the club and the lack of um, you know the lack of setup behind the scenes to to um, you know be a modern club. Um, you've got to say that the recruitment's been. Um, Terrific so far. You know, you look at Hatate last night, um, two goals and his first old for him. Um, you know, virtually a, a brand new team by um Greg Taylor and, and Callum McGregor. Um and you'd have to say that the vast majority look to be hits rather than misses so far. So um the fact that since the they winter break they've they've reversed a six point um deficit to now a one point lead. And they did it missing players like Kyogo, um, Rogich, Turnbull, you know, they were missing a a fair few first-choice players um, and they still managed to completely blow Rangers away in the first half. I mean, that was as one-sided, and you know, old for him, as just, it was probably as one-sided as the heavy defeats that Rangers suffered under Warburton, Kashina, and, and Murray. I think for Rangers fans, it must have been, you know, for two years, they hadn't lost to Celtic and then it was like being transported back four or five years. Um, so I think uh, there were a few sleepless nights last night.
0: Mm. Who is the finger of blame pointing at? Is it Jovan van
6: well, I mean, I think you can talk about individual players, and you know, Barisic in the pool game. You know, uh, Roof didn't exactly hold the ball up well. Kent flattered to deceive. Ahmad looked a bit lost, but to me, like a Gerard team never lost by three goals in one hundred and ninety three games, and that's to any team in Europe or domestically. And there's a reason for that because even if you know at times against Celtic last season, you know Rangers weren't playing well, but the the thing they could always grasp onto was. The, the organisation and the structure And that's the thing that came to define Gerrard's team Was just how well set up they were at a, at, a, at a possession You know, everyone knew their job inside out The way they would move as a unit They would close space It was just so compact that You know, they looked completely happy To let Celtic have the ball for as long as they like But under Van Bronckhorst every away game He's just been so passive And set up the team to sit in their own half With no pressure on the ball at all um, And it's like that, I think Rangers fans could understand going to Celtic Park and sitting back and looking to counter but there wasn't like you can only do that if you're actually well organized and it looked like the players were confused as to you know were they man marking were were they meant to be swapping runners you know because the wingers were getting drawn dragged all the way back to full back they were getting dragged inside and you know players like O'Reilly and Hatati and Abada and Jota were just running because they were finding space everywhere.
0: The good news going forward for Rangers is that they've got the most high-profile signing a Scottish club has made since Paul Gascoigne joined Rangers in 1995, uh, I read, in the shape of Aaron Ramsey.
6: Yeah, and I think, you know, if he wasn't uh, under under pressure already to come in and make an impact, then, you know, I think he's uh, going to find out that there's big expectations awaiting him. Um, But, you know, there's only 14 league games left, and I think... A lot of people expected that he would at least be fit enough to be one of the nine subs last night. Um, He's a few a few weeks away from match fitness, so I mean that's a bit concerning, really, that a player who's only played five games for Juventus this season, um, you know, might take a bit of time to get up to speed because Rangers don't really have that time. Um, Right? Do do you
0: you agree that he's that bigger potentially that bigger signing for Rangers? Yeah,
6: well, I mean, in terms of his profile, he is. um, But then I think you know. You're you wanting this player to be transformative, but you know if you look at last night and some of the recent weeks, there's much deeper problems than just Aaron Ramsey. I mean, Ramsey last night would have made a little difference, I think, um, given like how deep the problems were. Um, so, you know, I don't think he's going to come in and make wave a magic wand. And I think the big thing is if Ramsey can stay fit and play every league game to the end of the season, then you know that has got the potential to lift Rangers to a upper level, but. You know, are relying on him to, to stay fit and relying on him to recapture some I mean, of his, you know, his form that he showed a few years ago, but he's obviously only he's only thirty one, um, and he's still been doing it for Wales. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of faith being put in uh Ramsey, and I think they're just hoping that that proves to be a master stroke. But I mean Rangers recruitment the last couple of years has been has been pretty poor. Um, you need to go back six windows for the last time they signed a a player who's improved the starting eleven. living. So I think that's now Starting to catch up with him, but whether he can make a short term impact to to turn the, the momentum around, then um, I think that remains to be seen.
0: All right. Well, Jordan, the other massive story this week in Scottish football has been the situation at Wraith Rovers with their decision to sign. David Goodwillie, who was found guilty of rape in a civil court back in 2017. The uh, Wraith Rovers women's team's decision then to completely split from Wraith Rovers in protest at this move. Uh, But there's been a major development this Thursday morning about that.
6: Yeah, um, obviously Wraith Rovers have just announced um, today that they've reversed the decision um, to sign David Goodwillie. They gave him a a two-and-a-half-year contract, so I think they said themselves they'll need to review what happens with that because obviously they've made a commitment to him, but... I mean, it's a really sorry mess the last week um, and it doesn't, doesn't help um, football's, you know, standing um, because, you know, I think you, this, was, this was not something I don't think they can say or we were surprised by the reaction because people like Val McDermott, who sponsored the team shot um, and who's withdrawn our support since and has actually said she'll back the, the women's team um, who have broken away from the club. She done an interview the weekend before they made the sign in, she said in December that, you know, when the rumour started that this was not something that she thought was um in line with the what, what Rafe Rover stood for or what a community club stood for. Mm. Um so they knew what the, the reception was going to be. Um and I think the statement a day after, you know, the initial backlash where they said, you know, at the very last sentence was we'd like to reiterate that first and foremost this was a footballing decision. It's like, well, that's the problem, you know. That you know, everyone understands it. Good David Goodwill is a good player. He scored over a hundred goals for Clyde the last five years, and you know he's a. He would have gone on to do much more in his career um, if he hadn't been found um, to have raped a woman in 2017 in the civil case. But he has, and that overshadows everything that he does on the pitch. So, I th- I find it a completely baffling decision that a club would voluntarily. Um, push so many people, women and children and family people um, who go to the games. Um I find that a completely baffling sequence of events and you know I think we can say, oh well it's good. you know, I don't even think they deserve credit really for, for reversing the decision because I think to go ahead with it and put it to a vote on the board, you know, whoever decided to go with it, I think um I, I think their is probably untenable now and I think they'll have to work really hard to convince the fans and the sponsors who have turned away that they, they deserve another chance because you know, a mistake something that you do unconsciously whereas that's a decision they've made and they've weighed up um, and came to that conclusion and I don't think that conclusion is really something that um, you can accept in this day and age.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As January's signings go, quite extraordinarily disastrous. Split the team, may well force resignations, lost a sponsor. Uh, at least they've rolled back on that particular move as you said, which sent all uh, the wrong messages. Jordan, thank you so much for that update on, as I say, a busy week in Scotland and look forward to catching up with you again soon.
6: No, Brian. Thanks for having me on.
0: We all enjoy the sport we call the beautiful game. But since I've retired,
5: I've discovered an ugly, even darker side to the sport we love. Join me as Jamie Redknapp investigates.
2: Thanks, Jamie. We'll take it from
4: here. Join Jamie Redknapp for Jamie Investigates, the football mockumentary series. Watch on Paddy Power's Twitter. This week, Jamie Investigates, people who still call the Premier League the Premiership. Do you know the truth? Paddy Power. 18plusbcambelaw.org.
7: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more.
5: On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James
0: Richardson. This weekend, fourth round of the FA Cup, and ooh, one very large Premier League six-pointer-style relegation battle game between Burnley and Watford. Uh, let's look at the FA Cup. Uh, first of all, it's the fourth round, as I say, 16 games, 32 teams, two non league clubs in there. It's the most we've had in five years at this point in the competition. Uh, Boreham Wood of the National League, who put out Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon, in the previous round, they'll be taking on Bournemouth. And the National League North, Kidderminster Harriers, will be hosting West Ham after Kiddie's spectacular win at home to Reading in the third round. Both those games will be televised in what feels like a quite a reasonable weekend for decisions on which games to show. You've got those games. You've also got the East Midlands derby between Forest and Leicester.
1: I, I hate this. I hate this discourse. The, the which games should be on FA Cup. You know, like, if, if you care that much about the game, go to the game. It's like <laughs> some of the greatest moments in FA Cup history weren't on live TV. Mm. Ronnie Radford, Roy Essendon, for instance, that wasn't on live TV, so it's 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 become a little bit of a sort of tedious debate every time there's a round of the FA Cup of which game should be on, um, you know, Kidderminster were, were deemed to, they should have been on in the previous round, but then if they had been, they might not be in this round, and this is a much more attractive fixture, so I think you know, it's it's fine um, and I think this should be a good game, obviously Kidderminster have got one of the great nicknames as well, the Carpet men because obviously Kidderminster's is the his, traditional home of carpet making in in England, so um, so yeah,
2: Kidderminster have also got a decent record against Premier League teams in the FA Cup. They were one minute away from beating Wolves, who are a bit of a bit of a rivalry almost, like geographically. And in two thousand four, I think Alex Ray scored a last minute equaliser, and then Wolves won the, won the replay. And they only lost one 0 at Sunderland in twenty fourteen. So they've got they've got a decent record of getting to these. To this sort of stage of the competition and playing Premier League clubs, and I know obviously they've gone down a few divisions in recent years, but mm. they, you know, the, the, these are the sorts of games where whenever you've got Kidderminster playing West Ham, I mean, where's the FA Cup and West Ham sort of priority list, as it were, for the season? Obviously they're chasing a the top four spot. They've got Europa League games oh, coming up. It should be high,
3: Colin. It should be really high
2: on their list. It of should. Priorities. It, it should. It yeah. should be. It should be. But but this is this is the thing. I mean, the, the chance to win a trophy
0: is, is is fantastic. Are you saying they're going to play the kids against Kiddie?
1: kiddie, kitty, kid kid. nice,
0: Uh, well it's a valid question 113 league places separate these two teams for what that's worth Kidderminster are the lowest ranked team still in the competition they will be playing at home at the Agborough ground but uh, West Ham refreshed after a two week winter break looks a pretty one-sided affair on paper What, what, what does your supercomputer make the probability of upset? Duncan
1: um well, you don't have one, do I you? I think not for, the, for not for the FA Cup, no. But I think you can. It's because it's down to magic. Computers can't deal with magic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, there is a reasonable chance of a, of a shock here. Do you think? Um, I know. Yeah, I think so. Particularly as it is at Agbra. I think Everton should try and win the FA Cup. Um, you know, this, Tottenham should try and win. The, I mean, it's not teams that teams don't try and win the cup. It's just mm-hmm. as we know they do make these changes. And it does seem a bit unnecessary at times. So we'll see. But yeah, let's hope for some magic. Winning the FA Cup is really, really difficult.
2: Though. I mean, if, if, if you look for a stand-up like for West Ham, you would probably need to beat at least one, but probably two of Man City, of Chelsea. But they've already Liverpool. beaten Man City in a cup competition this year. Yeah, but it, but again they, that, that's true and they they beat City and they beat United but they still went out of the EFL Cup. I mean, these, these domestic cup competitions mm. are so difficult to win when you're coming up against against teams who've got squads where they can field two or three starting elevens who would be of a decent Premier League quality. It's very very difficult to compete against that over the course of a cup run. Th-
1: that's true, but then Leicester the last year I guess is the counter argument to that in that, you know, they famously had never won the FA Cup was, mm. and um and, you know, a lot of the, obviously, they missed out on the Champions League and a lot of their fans are like, I'd rather miss out on the Champions League and, and win the FA Cup. So it yeah. is possible. But as you say, And win is, this game.
3: Uh, win this game and they've got, what, fifth round, sixth round, semi-final, and you're at Wembley. It's three more games and you're in an FA Cup final. It's That's not going to derail anyone's season, in my opinion. So you know, I think it's well worth taking this seriously. We haven't had many, have we? Non-league teams knock out Premier League outfits. I think Luton did it against Norwich in 2013 yep. when they were in the, in the conference. And Lincoln did it against Burnley five years ago. So, mm. yeah, we're, we're sort of due another but again, one, I yeah.
1: But again, that particularly that Burnley game, it was such a, a chopped and changed team that I don't think that, that lives in the memory, unlike Sutton being in Coventry back in uh, 1989, where, you know, that really was... That really was
0: Sutton, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, that game anyway, Kidderminster's (laughs) attempts to uh, follow in their giant-killing footsteps uh, will be live on the BBC Saturday lunchtime. The other non-league side involved in the competition are Boreham Wood, and they will be on the telly too, Sunday 6.30, for their game against a championship side, Bournemouth. The Wood, as they're known, are part of an incredible promotion race in the National League, top seven of which are separated by just six points. They're also yet to concede a single goal in the FA Cup this season. What does your super... Oh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make anything of the chances of an upset, Duncan. What do you think?
1: Um, well, Boreham Wood is pretty much where they film EastEnders, so you can yes. probably feed that and, and, you know Maybe some of the drama will will travel with Boreham Wood down to the south coast. That's all.
3: that's all he's got. I've got <laughs> chances of an upset,
0: Colin and Agent.
3: Uh, well, I think if you've got a good defense, you've always got a chance. And Boreham would have a very good defense, um, clean sheets in 13 of 23 matches in the National League, mm-hmm. um, which is impressive, isn't it? it? It matches what they've been producing in the FA Cup. So Luke Garrard's got them organized, so that, that's a start. I think that makes you difficult to break down, and the other thing is that Bournemouth are all in on promotion. Now, I've, I've just sort of ranted about the likes of West Ham have got to try hard in the FA Cup. I don't know whether the same applies for Bournemouth, that the, the carrot of promotion to the Premier League is is all that really matters to them. Although
0: they have just bolstered their squad quite considerably. Uh, deadline day, making five signings, including mm. Todd Campwell and Nat yeah. Phillips on loan. Mm. Uh, Kiefer Moore, a Wales striker, who... Uh, lit up the Championship last season with, yeah. with Cardiff.
3: Mm. They should do it. They should they should get promoted alongside Fulham, give, given their squad. They already had a phenomenal squad to bring in Kiefer Moore. is fantastic. Siriki Dembele is a real talent from Peterborough. Ethan Laird, they've got on loan from Manchester United. A brilliant right wing-back. He's not really featured much yet, but he will. Camdenwell's a talent. Phillips, I mean, he was excellent for mm. Liverpool. And I think the goalkeeper... Was, was maybe one of the weak spots. He hadn't had a bad season, the Bournemouth keeper, but I, th- I felt they could upgrade and, and Woodman's come in from Newcastle. So, yeah, I think if Scott Parker doesn't get Bournemouth up this year, it would surprise me, actually. So, um, so yeah, they, look, they should beat Boreham Wood. I'm sure, you know, chances are they will, but Boreham Wood are capable of giving them a game, I think. Could be Woodman versus the Woodman in
1: the Wood Classico on the South Coast. <laughs>
0: That's something to look forward to, eh? Cambridge United, who sprang quite an upset in round three, knocking out Newcastle. Uh, they'll be hosting Championship Luton Town Saturday evening. It's not on TV, but, as Duncan says, if you're that interested in it, go along. <laughs> Make your way.
1: Or we'll watch uh, the highlights, which will yeah, be available. Yeah, watch the
0: highlights. That's a great shout. Uh, the round kicks off on Friday evening when ITV for those content to sit on their butts on sofas, we'll bring you Man United against Borough. I note that the last time Chris Wilder, now Borough manager, went to Old Trafford, he won for Sheffield United. Two-one winners in the Premier League there just over a year ago. So what do we think? Can he can he kick this round off with a juicy upset now with Borough?
3: Maybe, maybe. Middlesbrough Thanks, in good nick. I mean, the, the, you look across the last 10 games in the Championship... Second best in, mm. in terms of the points return. So yeah, they're, they're doing really well under Wilder. Defensively again, like Wood, not letting in too many goals. I think in in open play all season, Middlesbrough only let in thirteen, which is which is very small amount really, given the number of matches they play in the Championship. So so yeah, they've got a chance. If Manchester United are, you know, middling or worse, this could be a really really tight game. I think.
0: Colin yeah
2: i actually i think chris wilder is the best manager outside the premier league I really do. I think what he did at Sheffield United was was incredible. It didn't really get the credit it deserved and when it sort of regressed to the mean a little bit in the final stages it was like, oh, this is this is a feeling. Well, it wasn't because Sheffield United didn't have that squad available but he's come into Middlesbrough and it's, he's had the same impact. You know, they've won into their last 10 matches in all competitions. They've had a, a really busy January window as well. They've, they've strengthened. They brought in uh, Fuller and Bulligan from, from Arsenal Unknown and Aaron Connolly from Brighton Unknown so they've really strengthened their, their, their attack as well and they're just it's one of those matches, Man, Man United are obviously not, not in bad form themselves, but obviously their squad has been trimmed down quite a bit in, in, in the past week or two. And they're going into this thinking, well, is there is there a club who need a trophy as much as Man United do at the minute? I, I I don't think there is. I, I think this is the FA Cup is probably more important to Man United than any other club. I, I know you can make arguments for maybe Tottenham or or even, or even West Ham. They're good to go deep into the competition, but United haven't won a trophy since twenty seventeen. It's it's a long time. Um, it's a long time in their term. They've reached a lot of semi finals, obviously, and they've been a couple of finals recently, but they've always just fallen short. And you kind of think this isn't this is an important match for them. And I kind of scraped through against Villa in the previous round, and you know. All it takes is two or three maybe favourable draws, and all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden they're right in the mix. So, I think United will probably go full strength or close to full strength for this game. But as as Adrian said, Middlesbrough aren't going to aren't going to be easy. They're going to have a huge away following at this as well, and they're banging form. So it's I think that's that's I wouldn't say it's a tie of the round, but it is certainly one of the ones that if you're going to watch one,
0: that you've got to keep an eye on that because it could be a really good one. Excellent. That's Friday eight o'clock. On ITV, BBC Sunday at four o'clock will have Forest Leicester. Woof! First time in eight years that this particular East Midlands derby between the two most successful clubs in the region has taken place. What would constitute an upset here? Because Forest have a tremendous record against uh, big sides, particularly against previous uh, against the reigning champions, where well, they 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 knocked out twenty twenty winners Arsenal Adrian in the last round. Mm. Five of their previous seven ties against the reigning champions, they've been victorious in. Can they extend that?
3: That's crazy! Remarkable run to to this game here. What a stat that is! Yeah, that is amazing. I've seen a lot of Forest this season. Um, They're so much better under Steve Cooper than they were Houghton. They won't blow you away with loads of possession. They're not the the most attractive team to watch. A lot of the time, you think, well, you know, are they really going to hurt you? But what happens? because they've got incredible pace up front with Brennan Johnson, um, they've got Graben who's pretty nippy himself, Keenan Davis who's a big powerful centre forward, they grind you down and, and they, 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 they force teams, when matches get stretched that's when they come alive and they really hurt you and yeah uh, Jed Spence at right wing back with Johnson ahead of him on the right, That's a that's a dynamite partnership and I've got to say, when you look at Leicester and how badly they've defended all season and how slow they look quite often. I mean, Johnny Evans is carrying an injury. We know that. Soyuncu is a cart horse. Let's, let's, you know, let's get it right. He's he so slow. He's having a horrendous campaign. Vestergaard is even slower. You, you just think, well, the is set up quite nicely to, to cause an upset here. So yeah, wouldn't, you went wouldn't,
0: cart horse would, and Shanshu. Do you regret that? Having then had to describe Vestergaard, <laughs> should you have maybe?
3: Wow. Well, no, because I horse. would put Vestergaard in the tanker category because okay. it's more on a turn. Right. He, he really can't. He really can't turn. So I, I think I can differentiate with those <laughs> terms if that's all right, James. But um, but yeah. If How
1: fast does a cart horse turn? It's not... <laughs> Faster it's faster like
3: than a, a London taxi. Yes, true. I mean, true. to be honest, you might not mm. even be a Carlos. I, I think I remember reading a stat that he, he was very quick in terms mm. of his top speed. But right. he hasn't looked Great, very quick course. this season. That's all I'll say. He's, he's looked he's, pony, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been absolute pony this season. Mm. So no, look, if Forrest were to win this game, it, would, it wouldn't would surprise me at all. Leicester have only won three of the last ten matches. One player they do have that I really like is Pat Sundacker up mm. front. Look at, I mean, stats-wise, a, a direct goal involvement every 64 minutes in the Premier League for, for Leicester this season. I think four goals and, and three assists with Madison in, in good nick as well. They've they've got they've got players that can hurt hurt anybody. But yeah, it is that is that defense? Um, but we, we, it's hard to gauge their form because they've barely played, have they? Leicester's yeah. strongest eleven hasn't been seen since probably Christmas.
0: Leicester's trip to Forest will be on the telly, as we say, this weekend, as will be a couple of other games. Liverpool-Cardiff, that's Sunday midday on ITV's Hub, Uh, whereas uh, ITV4 is the channel you need if you fancy a bit of Spurs against Brighton. That's at the traditional FA Cup time of Saturday at 8 o'clock in the evening. Brighton's last four matches have all finished 1-1 after 90 minutes. Remember, this year, there's no replays in the fourth round. All from now on in the competition, straight to extra time and penalties after 90. Could be seeing that, perhaps, at mm, uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadiums Could also be seeing new Spurs signings, Kulosevsky and Bentancur. Duncan?
1: Yeah, I was just thinking whether Antonio Conte will have bad memories of the FA Cup, because he won mm. it, obviously, with Chelsea in 2018, and then they, they got rid of him. So maybe deep down he thinks that winning the FA Cup is bad. But Also, Brian have got a terrible record away at Spurs. They've lost their last seven uh, games, obviously, two different stadiums but uh, yeah I mean you'd imagine Spurs would want to um, make a bit of a
3: statement in this game so
1: but yeah should be should be quite an interesting match yeah. I, right. I
3: might catch a second half I, I can't I can't miss Mar Singer not for not for Spurs Brighton
0: Oh, um, have they unveiled the, uh, do- what's it called, Donuts? Yeah. I've not seen Masked Singer, but somebody's I mean, been know insisting. Who, We all knew who we it all, was, right? We all know who it is. OK, good.
3: Yeah, right, we'll yeah. move on. Yeah, it was Michael Owen. But yeah, the um, yeah, it's my new favourite programme, Masked Singer. I know it's not football, but I, I, I'm into it. What? I thought you meant film a singer for a minute,
1: but then, yeah. I didn't know right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Among games taking place without the benefit of a live TV audience, much like those trees falling in a forest. Uh anyway Man City taking on Fulham or are they I don't know. Uh that's the leaders of the Premier League against the leaders of the Championship Fulham who are a goal machine eh, Adrian what what the what the odds on an upset here?
3: <laughs> Pretty remote I would, I think, I would suggest okay. because it is Manchester City and that they do take these cup competitions seriously but they are a formidable outfit going forward they really are Fully. not the best at the back mm. they will they will leak goals even in in the second tier but going forward tremendous fabio carvalho what 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 a good talent this kid is i hope he shines in the game obviously so he's
0: the guy that liverpool were trying to get hold of on deadline day tell us more about him
3: yeah he, well there's definitely a touch of the catenios about mm. fabio carvalho he, he he has this sort of impish brilliance about him. He's only 19. He's so quick. He's a wonderful finisher. He can score, you know, intuitive goals inside the box, but he can also whip, you know, whip goals into the top corner from, from distance. Um, when he gets to the byline, he tends to play with his head up and he can pick out normally Mitrovic um, for, for a goal. He's got great game awareness. Honestly, I think he, he might be the best teenager I've seen in the, in the EFL. Since Delhi Alley when he was brilliant for for MK Dons, I just I feel he's that that talented. So, yeah, he's he's a player that's destined for the Premier League I, I, and to shine in the Premier League. And yeah, if Liverpool come back in for him, but if they'd have got him for the proposed, what was it about seven million they were arguing about? That would be a steal because I think he's potentially worth twenty. You know, if he wasn't out of contract, you'd you'd have to pay an awful lot of money. Really, really good young player um, so yeah uh, yeah, you'll Not be hearing right. a lot more about him
0: OK well he will be potentially playing at our Premier League stadium in fact the home of the Premier League uh, champions and leaders Saturday 3 o'clock as Fulham try and upset Man City uh, a couple of other big games to talk about from the weekend one of which is Everton-Brentford and the other is that Premier League bottom two clash between Burnley and Watford we'll do those next
5: You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which will come in handy when Mikel Arteta finally bends the process altogether. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet, minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply and please gamble responsibly.
0: Everton Brentford first game in charge for Frank Lampard. Did you see his announcement video? There's a lot of frustrated directors in club media. What, what did it look like the opening titles to for you? Was it is it a chat show? Is <laughs> yeah.
1: it a yeah hard hitting chat show like yeah. local you know yeah po-
0: with an engaging with an engaging beginning and then a yeah. hard hitting follow up perhaps
1: tonight on Lampard yeah
3: lamps
0: <laughs> the other announcement video that I think caught the eye was the vote veghost one for Burnley cutting him in with uh, Jurassic Park. Remarkable.
7: What is that?
0: Yeah, I, I
2: really, I really enjoyed that one. And the thing about January transfer announcement videos is that the social media teams tend to not have the the time on their hands that they do over the summer window to kind of really put an effort into them. But I guess for Burnley, it's been so long since they've signed a player that they've probably had, we'll had play the like this. <laughs> they have not they
1: been do many match reports, I so can make as many videos as they like.
2: <laughs> they've had a lot of time in their hands to put this one together, so I, re- I really enjoyed it. And I actually, I actually think that the void I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, mm-hmm. the, the sign signing could could potentially be the most important sign in a January window, uh, in the terms that Burnley are obviously where they are in the table and they're. They're in every match, right? They don't they don't ever get get beaten heavily. They're always in with a chance, and it's just that lack of goals, isn't it? And if he can, if they can get this striker in, which they have done, and they make an instant impact, uh, I I think that
0: could be enough to keep them up. I really do. Wow, they're currently bottom of the Premier League, uh, four points from Norwich, who are on the other side of the dotted line, but with four games in hand. Watford, meanwhile, who they'll be hosting this weekend, are only two points from safety, but with only two games in hand again on Norwich Crikey Sean Dutch's Burnley did the double over Roy Hodgson's Palace last season this will of course be Uncle Roy's first game with Watford Duncan
1: Yeah I mean just to echo what Colin was saying about Veghorst. I mean since August 2018 only Lewandowski scored more Bundesliga goals than he did so it's, it's a really good signing for Burnley I mean I tweeted earlier in the week. If you, if you can't get excited about Burnley and Sean mm. Dyche signing a six foot six inch striker, then for, sorry, football's not the right sport for you because this is. It could be amazing. It could be literally, and that's what was so great about that launch video because it really, it had, a, you know, it is like bringing a dinosaur into the Premier League, but in a good way.
3: I, right. I did enjoy how how into it that big was. Uh, you know, he played the part, I think, albeit briefly, with real with real enthusiasm, happy mm-hmm. to be labelled that giant dinosaur. Um, he is very Burnley. I was looking at the Champions League group stage because he was part of that with Wolfsburg. He won the second most um, aerial duels of, of any front player in it. And, and going back on what, what Duncan said, in all three seasons in the Bundesliga, he was in the top four in the goal charts. I mean, would Chris Wood have been in the top four of the Bundesliga goal charts over three consecutive seasons. I, I, I couldn't see that happening, so I, th- I think it is a real upgrade. He's got a bit more pace, some good guile in, in, in 1v1s, and he's obviously a beast when it comes to, to getting on the end of crosses, and Burnley love a cross, don't they? So, yeah, it's um it looks a really smart acquisition.
2: The, uh, the, the other thing about Burnley is obviously Maxwell Cornet, who's was at the AFCON of Ivory Coast, mm. but he's only started eight uh, Premier League matches this season, and he scored six goals. And you look at you look at Burnley and the, the problems they have in front of goal, Ben Mee is the only player in their current squad who's scored more than once in the league. So it really, it really does show how important these guys are for them.
0: Is Corne back now because Ivory Coast having exited? Will he be back avail- available for this game? Should be. That's
1: Theoretically, yeah. Theoretically, but, all right. Just, I don't want to go swimming pool attendant from... Uh, the day to day too much, right, but just yeah. to kind of highlight Roy Hodgson's impact uh, when he comes into struggling teams. So Fulham were 19th on the morning of his first game and finished in 17th. West Brom was 17th uh, on the morning of his first game and they finished 11th. And Crystal Palace were 20th on the morning of his first game and they finished the season in 11th. So mm. it is a pretty remarkable rescue operation that he can Prime. plug into a club. And and the fact that they've got to play home and away, the, the two fixtures of this fixture is still remaining. Is, is huge, I think, because obviously they're both well in the mix. And I think this p- could possibly be the most six-pointery Premier League game or set of games in the league's history. So I'm I'm excited.
3: All
0: right. Magnificent. That game is on telly on BT Sport, if you have that. The magic of the Premier League. There you go. Six o'clock Saturday. A uh, short time before that... On no channel because it's not on telly is Everton Brentford. This is back in the FA Cup. Now we mentioned about Everton's signings, how they're cornering the market in kind of stuff provisions, having bought Van der Bacon, now they've got the deli <laughs> service as well. Move for Brian Panino out of
1: Udinese he didn't go through, but Kevin Lasagna was just was so close. So right, close. And your power deck and
0: rice, yadda yeah yada. Yeah, yeah. Um but uh no Deli Alley in this because he's cup tied. And Christian Eriksson won't be available for Brentford, we hear, because he's not yet in the UK. Christian Eriksson, reaction to the move, I think, I mean, certainly on my part, centered around the first of all, the medical question. And, and I think beyond that as well, there's the way he kind of exited Spurs and the way that it, for a large part of his time at Inter, he was very much surplus to requirements has, has kind of clouded how big an impact a player he can be Duncan do you have numbers that could say remind us of that?
1: Yeah I did a piece earlier in the week about I think for me Christian Eriksen is kind of almost like the forgotten brilliant player of the of the Premier League because his numbers are up there with, with Kevin De Bruyne um, only two players in Premier League history have assisted ten or more times in four consecutive seasons. David Beckham who I think we can agree is pretty good at football uh, and Christian Eriksen so and and when you remember how he left Spurs, he was kind of the first player to sort of have that sort of post-Pochettino ennui and he really wanted to, to leave. Obviously, we saw a lot of it on All or Nothing and, you know, he was just determined to leave the club and, you know, he, he'd run his course there. But, and obviously we know all the medical issues, but if if he can get to, I reckon, even sort of 75% of, of his Spurs level at Brentford, then that's an absolute game changer for Brentford in terms of the rest of the season and, and hopefully beyond as well.
0: Hmm. During his first spell in the Premier League, between September 2013 and January 2020, he scored the most goals from outside the box, made the most assists and created the most chances of any player in that time.
3: Yeah, and and they've lacked that creator, haven't they, Brentford? They've done so many many aspects of the game really well this season, but, but they've lacked that little bit of guile, someone to unlock the door with a moment of magic from outside the box. They're also already really good at set pieces. I think they've got the highest expected goals um tally i think 11.2 from set plays scoring eight with christian erickson over free kicks and and corners you'd imagine that tally might might translate into more goals as well so um mm. yeah it's, it's a great signing i think we'll all be a bit anxious won't we watching him at the outset but but hopefully all be well and, and we can see the the christian of old
0: well he doesn't feature in the fa cup clash with everton as i say because uh he won't yet be back with the team or, or, or sufficiently early uh, to be ready for that. Very good. Still to come today, uh, we'll touch on some of the World Cup qualifying news. Some very interesting stories there. And also, hear about our first finalist for the Africa Cup of Nations.
5: You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast
0: Network. Totally Football League Show is out on Thursday with exciting news of returns for Steve Bruce and Roy Keane. Roy Keane reportedly in talks to return as Sunderland manager. Maybe this has happened by the time you hear this, listener. Keane, of course, famously led the Black Cats to promotion to the Premier League in 2007. Meanwhile, I mentioned Steve Bruce. Boom! Heading for West Brom. Crikey, the former Birmingham City boss and Villa man completing a hat
1: trick. Okay. Um, Steve Bruce has covered a lot. He's been Sunderland and Newcastle. He's been Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, most of the West Midlands. Mm. Um, And I thought he said he was never going to manage again. I just want another book from him.
0: Maybe so. Anyway, uh, he's the front-runner, apparently, to take over from Valerian Ismail, who was sacked by West Brom on Wednesday after just seven months in charge of the club, fifth in the Championship. Adrian,
3: in a sentence, did he have to go? Had to go, yes. Um, He Played a brand of football that the players hated and the oh. fans hated. The only way it was going to work it was if they kept winning games and, and oh. they stopped winning games. Um, their form's horrendous and and yeah, I just I felt a change had to be had to be made. I mean, Steve West Bruce Brom saying don't call me a smile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Steve yeah. Bruce doesn't feel like the most inspirational, but he's a kind of middle ground manager that will sort of um, yeah keep them. Keep them solid and organised and strong at set pieces and stuff, but, but but hopefully encourage them to actually pass the ball to each other, which wasn't really part of uh, Ismail's brief.
0: And if they have any shabbily decorated communal areas, he'll sort those out as well. <laughs> uh, the offside rule will be out today too, uh, this being Thursday. Big weekend in the WSL with four of the top five playing each other. Arsenal Man United on Saturday, Chelsea Man City on Sunday. Uh, World Cup qualifiers this midweek. We were talking to Joshua Cloak on Monday about Canada and how they're going to be heading to Qatar for their second World Cup ever. Les Rouges took another big step this midweek. They had a 2-0 victory in Salvador, El Salvador. Uh, some wonderful goals in that one as as well. Uh, have a look. They're special. They are now eight points clear of fourth. The worst that they can do is finish fourth and get a playoff with probably New Zealand. But they're looking set for one of the automatic qualifying spots. Very exciting. USA have a four-point buffer over fourth-place Panama after their victory midweek over Honduras. 3-0 they won in St. Paul, Minnesota. If you're thinking, ooh, Minnesota in February, that sounds a (laughs) bit chilly. How cold was it, Duncan?
1: Well, it's hard to tell, isn't it, because it Americans use a stupid, stupid okay. thermometer Min- system. But, yeah, very cold. It's re- rare sighting of a goalkeeper in a balaclava. A new Arsenal man, Matt Turner, uh, wore a balaclava. He also wanted, apparently, to use a like warming pouch. Ha- yeah. Not from a kangaroo, but something I that, that was NFL lo- quarterbacks do. Yeah, they were allowed to do that, I think, weren't they? I don't think he was allowed to use it. Was you he don't, not? Don't Hand-warming pau-
0: gloves he was allowed to use.
1: Yeah, you don't want to see pouches creep into the game. To be right. Honest, so.
0: Well, you don't want to see, really, games played at minus 16 degrees. Yeah, if only
1: federations had a choice of where they stage fixtures in well, they, some sort of fixture list with the month right. marks. I don't know. It but seems... this
0: is something that USA, USA have done uh, on, on occasion when they're up you know, in a delicate point uh, with a, uh, you know, a team, a Latin team from the south. They kind of roll yeah, out they, the,
1: they, the, they the frozen like fixture.
0: And, and indeed, two of the Honduras players had to withdraw in, in, during the game with hypothermia. That's how cold it was. Anyway, a quick word on South American qualifying. Uh, Argentina and Brazil are through. Brazil had a 4-0 win against Paraguay midweek with Rafinha on the score sheet and Anthony out of Ix and Rodrigo as well. The Real Madrid won. And also Coutinho. Did you see Coutinho's goal? Oh, it's worth checking out. I mean, it's from outside the area, Natch, because it's Coutinho, but it's 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 a lovely one. Argentina won winners over Colombia. Lautaro Martinez with the only goal. That leaves Colombia seventh. We mentioned on Monday how Colombia is currently set to miss out on the World Cup. They are seventh. They need to win both their remaining games and hope other results go their way as well to, to qualify. Uruguay, who were in a similarly sticky predicament, uh, got a 4-1 win over Venezuela, which has put them back into fourth spot. They're only two points ahead of Peru, though. And guess who they're going to be playing next? It is Peru in Montevideo. Crikey. Uh, Luis Suarez, by the way, becoming an outright top scorer in the history of the South American World Cup, qualifiers with 28 goals with his scoring strike in that game. Also on the score sheet for Uruguay, Rodrigo Bentancur, new arrival from Juve. Now, let's wrap up today's show with the biggest game that awaits us uh, this weekend which is of course the AFCON final. Uh, they're in Cameroon and joining us now on the line is Maher Mazahi. Hi
7: Maher. Hello, hello. Good to speak to everyone again. Yeah, excellent. Where are you? Today I'm in Yaounde, I'm in the capital. All of the All other right. times that we've spoken I was in Douala, which is more of a commercial hub.
0: Okay. What's the there's a certain amount of background noise. What you could paint us a picture, Maher? <laughs>
7: So I'm hanging off the side of my balcony because that's how the 4G works best. Uh, There's an avocado tree uh, in the garden below, some palm trees as well. And in the distance, yeah, yeah, you have a a main road where you're probably hearing a lot of motor vehicles passing by.
0: Oh, outstanding. Uh, So, yeah, I say about the final coming up. We're in a slightly awkward position of not knowing who one of the finalists are and, Plenty of people listening to this may may know what the result of Thursday night semi-final between Egypt and Cameroon is. Uh, so far, we, we we've only had the game between Burkina Faso and Senegal. So let's talk about that. Uh, Senegal, with all the backstory, they've got Maher of, of the, the side that that should have but never did this time around. Are you seeing signs that they're finally getting their act together?
7: Yeah, I had that epiphany last night. Honestly, after the match, um, the big question for Senegal was always, can they get over that mental block? They've never won a final at the continental level, not even with their under-20s. And you always wonder, okay, I heard in 2019, they brought they even brought a, a team psychologist to Egypt to try and help them over that hump should they get there. Sure enough, they made a final, and they ended up losing to Algeria 1-0. But I'm seeing different signs from this Senegal team. Um, you know, I think everybody recalls uh, Papa Bouba Diop, uh, Papa Bouba Diop, excuse me, um, the... Uh, former Fulham midfielder, the guy who scored the goal against France in the 2002 World Cup. Uh, He tragically passed away in November of 2020, uh, reportedly due to ALS. And uh, his spirit is kind of here. um, In two of the goals of this tournament, Bamba Diang against Cape Verde, and Famara Diadu against um, Equatorial Guinea. They've recreated his celebrations to sort of pay tribute to him, and the coach Aliusisi later saying, I had no idea that that was even the plan. And I think that what's really great about this side is that they're being surrounded by a lot of that 2002 generation. So Aliou says was the captain. He's the coach. But you also have um, Tony Silva, the heroic goalkeeper. He's the goalkeeping coach. You have um, uh, even Al- Al- Al-Hajjouf. I know he's not the most popular figure in England, but he, you, can, you can't deny his popularity uh, within the Senegalese ranks. And the problem with that 2002 generation, they impressed at the World Cup, but they ended up failing at the 2002 Cup of Nations. They, they lost in the penalty shootout, and Ali Ussise missed the decisive penalty. But I think just seeing them embrace that 2002 um, generation, I wrote this morning that they're not really haunted or shackled uh, by their past. It doesn't seem like that anymore. Um, it seems like they're more in a complete harmony with it. And I saw that with the tributes to Diop and also to uh, with the way that they're being sort of guided by the older generation.
0: I've seen it described as a classic Senegal performance against Burkina Faso in that they they kind of wore Burkina Faso down and then unleashed the full might of their potential with Sadio Mane picking up the third goal after really bossing things uh, in the final 20 minutes or so.
7: Yeah, exactly. Burkina Faso didn't lie over. Uh, the first half, I thought they were probably the better side even if Senegal had the more dangerous opportunities. But something happened at halftime. I don't know what Kamu Malu told his, uh, his players in the Burkinabi dressing room and I don't know what Aliou Cisse told his in the Senegalese dressing room. Um, but when they came out for the second half, it was a completely different match. Um, Senegal all of a sudden completely dominated possession and they really utilized the width of uh, Sadio Mane uh, and Bamba Jiang very well on the wings. Um, and they created opportunity after opportunity. And as you mentioned, Sadio Mane, you know, great players do great things in great moments, and the more often they do them, the greater they become. And Sadio Mane, for me, (laughs) just does it again and again and again. Um, For the third goal, he was sort of released, and it was a one-on-one with the goalkeeper. And I, immediately, we all just looked at each other in the press box and said, yeah, this is a goal. We, there was absolutely no doubt. Nobody in the stadium had any doubt that he was going to score it. And he took it with perfect aplomb. And yeah, just another fantastic moment by him with his national team.
0: Mm. It's a shame for uh, Burkina Faso, whose preparations for the game were not helped by the fact that a coup was staged back home. Um, but uh, an actual coup, not like a deadline day signing of Deli Ali or something like that, but one with the military and things.
7: Yeah, so on the 23rd of January, uh, some military officials, they deposed the former president, uh, Rush Kabore, uh, for his alleged inability to to get rid of terrorist threats in the region, in the country, I should say. Um, And that really did affect the Burkina Faso national team. Um, They had a social media ban that was lifted, uh, just so that players can go in and check on everybody back home. And there was even a curfew that was instituted, but after they won in their quarter-final against Tunisia. Uh, I saw a few different declarations from supporters in, in the capital in Ouagadougou saying, uh, tonight there's no curfew, even the soldiers are celebrating. So there really was a unifying factor around this Burkina Faso national team. And they're a young team and they have a bright future, but they were just outclassed in the second half of this match.
0: Mm. All right. Well, we've got the second semi semi-final coming up Thursday evening then, and it is the host Cameroon against Egypt. Mahir, what? What would you rather see for Sunday? Do you want the Mane against Salah? Dual, or do you want to see the hosts taking on Senegal? The, the hosts against the team looking to make history?
7: Yeah, either or. You know, there's two different narratives. If it's in Egypt-Senegal, uh, you have, like you said, the Mane against Salah, um, rivalry, friendship, angle, the, the Premier League angle. I think there's going to be a lot more interest, a lot more eyeballs on the final. So I think that that would be good for African football. And I would be happy with either of them winning because they're just such humble, likable characters, and they do so much for their countries back home. But I also like the Cameroon versus Senegal narrative because that was the final of the of the 2002 Cup of Nations, and like I said, Aliou Cisse did miss a penalty in that match, and so the redemption story for him would be so so good. And then the hosts winning it, if Cameroon does win, is another great story. So for me, um, any of those <laughs> any of those narratives, <laughs> any of those matchups work, honestly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Mahir Mazahi, who was on his way, actually, to the stadium for Cameroon, Egypt. And as I say, we'll talk about that amongst everything else on Monday. Well, that wraps it up then for today's Totally Football show. Fantastic. Many thanks to Colin and Duncan and Adrian and producer Charlie and you, listener. Have a great weekend with all the lovely, lovely football. And we'll catch up with you Monday. Cheerio.
5: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on The Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
1: The Athletic.